Welcome to the Cardinal Newman Society podcast. I am your host, Kevin Murphy. Catholic education is not just something for the other guy to concern himself with. It is a call or concern for every Catholic because Catholic education is a part of the saving mission of the church. Now, I want to share a few quotes from the Congregation for Catholic Education. In a recent document they published called The Identity of the Catholic School for a Culture of Dialogue, this was published on January 25th of 2022 on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. In this document, it refers to the church as mother and teacher. That's a powerful image for us to consider. It says, the educational action pursued by the church through schools cannot be reduced to mere philanthropic work aimed at responding to a social need, but represents an essential part of her identity and mission. Now, I'm going to go back 50 years almost to the next quote. It is also from the Congregation for Catholic Education from a document simply titled The Catholic School. The Catholic School is a center in which a specific concept of the world of man and of history is developed and conveyed. Finally, the church is absolutely convinced that the educational aims of the Catholic school in the world today perform an essential and unique service for the church herself. It is, in fact, through the school that she participates in the dialogue of culture with her own positive contribution to the cause of the total formation of man. And this next statement is very interesting. The absence of the Catholic school would be a great loss for civilization and for the natural and supernatural destiny of man. Now, this document was written in the 1970s. We had a lot more Catholic schools at that time than we do today. But it was already experiencing sharp declines in the number of Catholic parochial schools. Fast forward to Pope Benedict XVI. Pope Benedict XVI said that we are facing an educational emergency. Now, what did he mean by that? In my lifetime, the number of Catholic parochial schools, elementary and secondary, has gone from 13,000 locations to 5,900. That's a 54% decrease. The number of students attending these Catholic schools has gone from 5.2 million to 1.6 million. That's a 70% decrease. To give further context, consider what has happened to the overall U.S. population at the same time. While Catholic schools were decreasing, the U.S. population was dramatically increasing. In fact, it grew 85% from 1960 to 2020, going from 180 million to approximately 330 million. In 1960, 2.9% of the total U.S. population attended Catholic parochial schools. Today, that percentage has shrunk to less than 0.005%. This despite the fact that Catholics comprise nearly 20% of the overall U.S. population. Now think about this. If Catholic schools would have simply maintained their market share of 2.9% of the population, neither going up or going down, just stayed at 2.9%, today 
enrollment in Catholic schools would be 9.5 million students. Instead, we are at 1.6 million students. Now, those are stark numbers. And why Pope Benedict used the phrase educational emergency. It's also why this podcast is vitally important. It's not too late. We've always have hope in Jesus Christ. And as we look around, we're starting to see things change. Great signs of inspiration where faithful Catholic education is flourishing again. Some have fled to Catholic education because they notice how secular education is manipulative, attempting to eradicate God, take him completely out of the education equation. This has drawn families back to Catholic education. We're also seeing Catholic schools around the country that might have strayed from their mission self-correct, and they're striving for renewal and reform. We are truly blessed with some incredibly gifted educators at all levels of Catholic education, elementary, high school, college, postgraduate. We're going to be highlighting some of those individuals in the episodes ahead. And so I think you'll see that your hope can be buoyed by being introduced to some of these wonderful people. These people are in the trenches every single day fighting to make our schools more faithful to the church. Another positive sign why overall college enrollment in the last decade has dropped 14%, those colleges recognized in our Newman Guide have had enrollment increase 10%. That's significant. There is something afoot when parents seek out a faithfully Catholic college. And now with the Newman Guide going down into the K-12 through arena will be an incredible impact in our Catholic education system. Catholic homeschooling has blossomed. There are numerous independent Catholic schools doing well. One of the oldest of these just celebrated their 50th anniversary. And so we're seeing exciting things afoot in Catholic education. So let's get started discussing this and much more. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Patrick Riley, the founder and president of the Cardinal Newman Society. Patrick will talk about the creation of the Cardinal Newman Society and its vital role in renewing Catholic education. So today I am joined by the president and founder of the Cardinal Newman Society, Patrick Riley. Patrick, welcome to our first initial podcast. This is so exciting, Kevin. Thank you. <laughs> Patrick, I have heard your story about how the Cardinal Newman Society began, but I want everybody else to hear it. I don't think people capture enough of this and they can see themselves in the very problems that you encounter because many of them have encountered the same problems. So take us back long ago <laughs> when you were Not in college so and okay. you're wearing your bell bottoms. No, right. no. Take us back to when you were in <laughs> college and tell us what happened, what was going on, and how did the Cardinal Newman Society come about at Fordham University? Okay, great. Yeah. So I, you know, coming out of high school, I had a it was a Catholic high school tied with a major Catholic university, and I was disappointed all along with the Catholic identity of my high school experience. So I already kind of had that sense, not the sense I was going to do anything about it, but just 
wanting something different. And I thought that's what I would get with a good, strong Jesuit education. And my understanding of that was, I think, what traditionally has been understood about a good, strong Jesuit education that you'd have. And I even had a mentor who told me, you're going to have four years of ethics and logic and philosophy and theology, and you're just going to have this great, rich liberal arts experience and all of that. And I I didn't get much of that at all. And so, you know, with my high school, I was offered a full scholarship to go to this other university that was tied with the high school and decided, no, I don't want that. And I thought, no, I'm going, I'm going to go for the, the big thing, the Jesuit education. And, you know. Now, hold on. Your parents allowed you to say, no, no, I don't want the one that's paid for. Well, Fordham paid for me, too. So, okay, yeah, good. Had, well, congratulations. Good, good deal. It was Smarty a great, pants. great place. I was going up to New York City. I was so excited. And I was a good writer, so I wanted to be a journalist. And I thought, New York City, great place to be. And it really was, for a lot of reasons, great place to be. Yeah. But hedonistic culture, and I found out that that was very much reflected mm-hmm. in the, the campus life and, and even in the academics at, at Fordham. And so, yeah, so I went there, you know, certainly found that it was a secular and in the sense that there was a Catholic identity, it was almost an anti-Catholic identity, at least what I experienced in my courses. You know, I had one professor, my English professor, who loved to talk about her articles praising abortion rights. And then I had a theology professor, eth- ethics professor, actually, first year, who was was very wishy-washy, I could tell then, but found out years later that he was actually the one who testified before the Massachusetts state legislature that same-sex marriage was incumbent upon us as Catholics. It was part of Catholic social teaching and testified to this in the courts. And so, yeah, that, I mean, that was the environment there academically, but where it really started to affect me was more on the, the social level that, I mean, the campus life was not great. And, you know, you had a lot of sexual activity, a lot of drinking, a lot of that going on. And then after I became editor of the student newspaper, I was in the journalism program. It was actually just a few weeks before I became editor. We found out that the university was about to recognize a student club that claimed to be pro-choice, claimed to you know, support abortion rights. And they, they used all the nuanced language that today they've sort of shedded all that nuanced language. Right. But back then, they, it was very nuanced. But it was quite clear that they were opposed to Catholic teaching. They supported contraception and abortion and, and other things. And so I went and actually met with the university president, as, as was the tradition for the incoming editor of the student newspaper. And I remember asking, like, this is a Catholic university. I assume this is not possible. And the response I got was, no, I don't see how we could ever recognize that sort of a club. Well, within a few weeks, it was recognized and it was approved. And the president was publicly saying, well, this is something that you know, we can disagree on public policy. You know, we're definitely opposed to abortion, but it's okay to advocate laws that allow abortion and encourage abortion. And so that was sort of the Jesuitical way of addressing. And what year were you in? So this would have been, I guess, 1990. I graduated in 1991. So this is just as I was in my junior year, editor of the student newspaper. And so Little ways back now, <laughs> didn't seem like it. <laughs> so, what, Patrick, what did you do with that knowledge? Now, once that club came on campus, and to you, that was uh, opposed to everything you were hoping the university would be. Right. What action yes. did you take? 
and I'm very pro-life. I, you know, I grew up very pro-life, adopted, always, that was something that was very strongly ingrained in me. So I saw that that was clearly a problem. And then, well, even before I did anything about it, then immediately another club was approved and recognized by the institution. They saw this opportunity. There was an underground gay and lesbian club mm. that uh, had been around for several years, but now they saw the opportunity to get recognition since the other one did. And they were approved. And this was a club that it wasn't just about safe spaces. This was a club that was very much opposed to Catholic teaching and was quite clear about it uh, in their statements and their activities. So I did start writing about it as editor of the student newspaper and very quickly was, you know, vilified by certain quarters. And it created quite a buzz and made it sort of fun to be editor of the student newspaper. I mean, there's basically creating controversy, not that I created it, I was responding to it. And yeah, it just, it, it became an entire campus conversation. In the time I was student editor, we also found out that they were giving abortion referrals through a counseling service on campus to girls who were pregnant. And then my term as a student editor ended middle of my senior year, but then the graduating seniors always came back by tradition and published a graduation issue at the time of our graduation. And then that was when we found out that a pro-abortion commencement speaker was going to be my commencement speaker. And so I worked with some alumni and we actually sent out letters to, to all of the parents of the graduating seniors. And we wrote letters to alumni and especially donors. And that's sort of how I got into this. I certainly wasn't looking for it. And so Patrick, young people, myself at the time would have, I mean, I've experienced things very much like that. And I know there's a lot of people, we just had a call you know, last year from a young lady who went to Loyola University to experience some of these shocking things right. that you find the campus to be what you hope to be is something drastically different than what it is. So at this point, you didn't have Cardinal Newman Society in your head. No, not at all. And in fact, you know, I, I'm sure the assumption is, you know, well, here's this sort of holy roller who's offended by all of these things going on. And I really was not, you know, in those days I was like most young people at that age, I was conflicted about certain things and, and really wasn't as strong in my faith as, as I might've been. And so I was wrestling with all of those things at the same time as dealing with this, but I knew it's one thing to deal with moral and complex ethical issues. It's another thing to, to just face the fact that this is a Catholic institution that has publicly told everyone it's Catholic, that provides a distinctive education that's supposed to form young people in the Catholic faith. I did not get that while I was there at all. Mm. In fact, if anything, it dragged me down mm. and, and dragged so many others around me down. And then for these things to be happening that were blatantly contradictory to what the institution was putting itself forward as. And so from that was easy for me logically to say all right this is it's it's false advertising it's you're clearly doing something that you shouldn't be doing so it's easy for me to make those arguments so it's over time that i've really developed a better sense of what are all of the the benefits and the the important aspects of catholic education that are so you know integral to a, a young person's life and and what what a good catholic education could and does provide young Catholics. And, and to come to that richer understanding has just made me all the more in love with what I was not getting at this institution. At the time, this was what year, 19 what? 
So I graduated in 91. So just two years later then, right. Pope, Pope John Paul II writes Ex Corde Ecclesia, right? Well, two years later is when we founded Cardinal Newman Society. Ex Corde Ecclesia was 1990. 1990. So, so it was one year before. Exactly. And so- Did you have any idea about that, first of all? That it was that it was being that a document was out there and talk specifically about some of the issues that you're encountering. I knew when it came out, yeah, but it was about a decade of development, and I was not aware of all of that. I was a young Catholic; I wasn't paying attention to these things. And so, for me, here I am in the midst of these battles, and I was literally getting death threats on my phone. I didn't really take them that seriously from other students, but it was it was hot, right? And so. To be going through that and then to have Ex Corde Ecclesiae issued by the Pope, it just, it was just such a beautiful, I, I, I remember crying at some point, you know, through all of that, realizing that, you know, here I am fighting this and feeling like the whole world's not with me, but the, the Pope is. <laughs> and what the Pope is saying is what I, in my very imperfect way, was trying to argue and and here he wasn't just saying this is how things should be. Excordia Ecclesiae is actually a juridical document of the church saying this is how a Catholic university must be in order to be called Catholic. Isn't that fascinating? Because this document lays out very clearly what the Pope from the church perspective would expect of Catholic universities and colleges. And you in your in your little part of the world was experiencing something directly, I mean, almost like a classic example, right? Of, That's right. Here's the opposite of what you're saying at a Catholic university. And I, I hate it because I see, Patrick, kids down to our very day. As I said, the young lady just called last year, purposely chose the university to go there to be nourished in their Catholic faith and got the exact opposite. That's right. That's right. And it, it today, still today, you know, 30 years of doing this, what, what I delight most in doing this work is when you run into those people who they look at us the same way in the sense that I looked at Ex Corte Ecclesiae and the Pope. They hear us saying the things that they were desperate for somebody to be saying and for somebody to be championing these values and this understanding of Catholic education. And we're out there doing it. It's not, we're not making this up. This isn't a creative process. We're simply repeating in most cases exactly what the church is saying or in some cases applying it and interpreting it in the in the modern environment but what catholic education is and should be has been stated very clearly by the church and so we're out there saying that and people are so grateful and they have that reaction to us that that they're hearing us say what they really needed to hear and they need others to hear as well so patrick the patron saint Cardinal Newman talked about a vocation. At what time did you realize that God gave you a vocation in college specifically for this? I mean, isn't that interesting that you end up naming an organization, the Cardinal Newman Society? Right. Newman talks about, I've been giving my mission. I've been giving my purpose. I have a definite cause that God has given to me and only to me. And in a sense, that's exactly what happened to you at the school. You you were kind of called up, and ever since then, you've been pursuing that. Has that ever ever given you reason to pause? I I, I confess to not being nearly as bright as St. John Henry <laughs> Newman was. Yeah, so he always, through his life, from a very young age, had a very strong sense of God's providence and God calling him to things. 
you know, for me, I think it was through those those particular experiences. I did always feel, you know, especially with Ex Corde Ecclesiae coming out at that time and dealing with these issues, I became editor of the student newspaper not to write about Catholic identity at my institution. I did it because I was thinking of being a journalist. And so I kept finding myself kind of falling into these things where it was as if, you know, God was just nicely setting me up <laughs> what yeah. I had never intended to do. And so I felt that from very early on, sometimes resisting it, feeling like, okay, why, why are you putting me in this position? Why am I doing this? Why am I here? So first in the particular, and then as I got older, more and more, I realized how much God was blessing this, whatever it was, this work that, you know, we were trying to do and the, the impact that it was having, which is far outsized, you know, our own abilities or our own even ambitions, what we were hoping to do. And so it's just been very beautiful to see quite clearly how the Holy Spirit has just worked through this whole renewal of Catholic education. And it, it makes it a lot easier for me. It gives me a lot of confidence in what we're doing. The Cardinal Newman Society is celebrating its 30th anniversary in 2023. As we take a short break, let's hear from our friend, Father Dave Pavanka, president of Franciscan University. 30 years old, you don't look a day over 20, but I just want to uh, say happy birthday to the Newman Guide. You've been a blessing to so many parents, so many students, so many universities. So I just want to wish you a happy birthday. So at what time, Patrick, let's fast forward a little bit. You graduate. <laughs> <laughs> Just double checking. Just I double did. checking. So you graduate. <laughs> you graduate. You 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 get out into the real world, and you're working. And at some point, when does the Cardinal Newman Society come to you as an entity that is a full time endeavor of your activity? Okay. Well, so the idea of the Cardinal Newman Society came to me almost even while I was at Fordham. Right, there was a need for something like this, and I went to many organizations out there and begged them for help. And there were some pro-life organizations that really helped us. There were some other Catholic organizations that were just wonderful, but none of them had this really as their mission. So it was limited what they could do. And so I felt strongly the need for something like this. It was after moving to DC and meeting a number of other students from around the country who had graduated from different Catholic colleges and had very similar experiences at their institutions, including some who I was spending time with at Catholic University of America, the Bishop's University. And so you know, we very quickly decided, all right, we need to start something. It was basically a paper organization. We had a great advisory board. We had Father Richard John Newhouse and Michael Novak and Charlie Rice and just some great people who were on that original advisory board. But it was a long gestation from there, right? So I don't, at that time, did I think I was going to go full time into this? No, not at all. You know, we were started a newsletter. We started collecting some donations. We did file C3. I did that while working for the Clinton administration. Wow. I started the Cardinal Newman Society on the Clinton administration's <laughs> dime. You know, I was working for the education department and they weren't giving me enough to do. And so I started the Cardinal Newman Society. Wow. And, but yeah, so it was. 2002, I guess, when, you know, I, I was already married. I'd been married five years, was having kids. The kids were coming pretty fast at that point. You know, we since had five, but, and my wife said, you know what? 
if God wants this to work, then you've got to stop doing this on the side while working another full-time job. You know, go out, get the money and make it work. Okay. I look back, I joke with her all the time about this, but I look back and I'm fully convinced that she was certain it was not going to work. And <laughs> she I was, was finally going to be rid of this, <laughs> trying to do two jobs and or I was going to get serious about focused on one. But it, it worked immediately. I mean, we had really started, it was a Monsignor in the Arlington Diocese who gave me most of the money to go full time. I raised enough money to pay for half a year of my salary. And then I had six months to raise the next half and just go from there. And what year is that? It was so blessed. So that was 2002. 2002. So at this point, the main thrust of the Cardinal Newman Society's activities is to basically do the same thing you did at Fordham, which is to note these happenings at college campuses and universities across the country that would call themselves Catholic, but would behave in a way, as you had said, as anti-Catholic. Yeah, although I would, I always had the conviction that, I mean, what I wanted to see was all of this fixed. I wanted to see Catholic education flourish. I wanted to see these places turn around. And so initially, given my journalism background, given very limited funds, given the best thing we could do was to expose the problems because we would talk to alumni of major universities and they would outright deny that these things were happening, even though we had documentation I mean, people didn't believe it at the time. And so there was a long period of just convincing people that there is a problem in Catholic education and it needs to be dealt with. And of course, our focus at that time was entirely colleges. And so we spent a lot of time of just uh, basically doing journalistic work. We were very careful to document that we didn't release anything that wasn't fully documented. We were not out to hurt these institutions. We were out to convince them sometimes by pushing them. Right. but to convince them to turn around. And on, on some fronts, we made a lot of progress. It, the, the vagina monologues was one of the big things that a lot of the schools was do, were doing just blatantly. Is that still a, that's still a thing, right? A, a little bit, but it's, it's kind of faded. It's just, it's just seen as old by a lot of the students. I right. mean, they have today, they have drag shows and a lot more things that in those, updated. Days, those wouldn't have been allowed. Right. But now, yeah, so it's the updated way of rebelling against the church, I guess. And it, these things do get old, right? You know, rebellion gets old fast if you just keep doing the same thing. It just becomes stale. And, and we are seeing that where people are just getting tired of the yeah. silliness of all of it. You know, the beautiful thing, Patrick, about the Cardinal Newman Society that I hear is that parents and grandparents can say, and they often do, I'll send my kid or my grandkid to a school as long as they're on the Newman guide. Now, right. let's fast forward just a little bit on this. You introduce this thing called the Newman guide. Right. Tell me how did that come about? I know you had mentioned Father Groeschel was involved and yes. and what year was this because this is probably the best recognized tool the Cardinal Newman Society has. That's right. So, yeah, 2007 yeah, so we were doing a lot of work with Father Benedict Rochelle. He was a great support for us. And for those who don't know Father Benedict Rochelle, he was, you know, a leader and a founder of the the Friars, Franciscan Friars of Renewal. And he basically had looked at the Franciscan order and had said there needs to be a reform. There needs to be both a reform and a renewal. And so we used to talk a lot about those two terms about, you know, reforming, correcting the problems, but also renewing what's foundational to something. 
And so he made the argument to us. He said, okay, you're doing the reform. You're focused on, you know, you're exposing the problems. You're trying to correct them. You're trying to get others to correct them. But where's the renewal? Like there, there are actually institutions out there that are doing it well. And we had already had the idea of doing a college guide. It was going to be a guide to covering all Catholic colleges in the U.S., and it was going to be overwhelmingly negative <laughs> because most of them just had serious problems. Right. I mean, I think today it's not all that uh, different in terms of it's 200 and some Catholic, right. so-called Catholic universities, over 200. That's right. So that would have taken yeoman-like work. Well, and, and the, the scary thing is we did most of the work. We had a whole team, a whole research team. We went in and we looked at every single Catholic college and, you know, just finding one scandal after another and all these kinds of problems. And it was Father Groeschel who I would credit with the thought of, you know what, Catholic families, they know the church is in crisis right now. They know there are lots of problems in the United States. What they really want is help with identifying where they can go and get a genuine good Catholic education. And so we said, you know what, scrap that. We're going to do the Newman Guide, and it's going to be focused entirely on places that we can recommend. And the others will just be, you know, we're going to continue to raise concerns about what's going on. But if you're not in the Newman Guide, well, that says something alone. And so we did that. And and since then, it's just been great. It's it's not only been the Newman Guide itself that has had such an impact. So many people today still, not still, more and more each year are turning to the Newman Guide and seeing it as a as a valuable resource in finding good, faithful Catholic colleges and and now you know much broader catholic education but it also had a real impact on us organizationally because we found that we were at a stage where we did have the resources we did have enough staff we did have the experience and the ability to now do a lot more in terms of talking about well what makes a good catholic institution let's re- recover that Let's let's move this renewal forward to where even while there's reform efforts going on with all the scandals throughout much of Catholic education, let's also push forward these places that are really trying to do it well. Let's give them attention. Let's give them support. Mm. And let's move that renewal forward. And it's just great. I mean, there's a great movement of renewal across Catholic education now. A lot of dioceses have decided you know, we need to do this as well. We're seeing these independent institutions. We're seeing the growth of Catholic homeschooling. We're seeing all of these efforts that are just having such a good, positive impact on the church. And now we need our parochial institutions to reflect that. And and it's just been wonderful. So, Patrick, there's a term, and you and I have talked about this before. When you When we say this, our mission at the Cardinal Newman Society, is to promote and defend faithful Catholic education. To the average person, I think when people say the word Catholic education, immediate images pop in your mind, right? I mean, I I went to a Catholic grade school first through sixth. When you say Catholic education, like, you know, certain nuns might pop up, right? You know, like, oh, man, you know, sister so-and-so, or, or, or I remember serving masses during school. It was a treat to get out to serve masses, you know? But when you say faithful Catholic education, it's like this loaded phrase. Can you help tell everybody what you mean? Yeah. So I, I go back to St. John Henry Newman, our, our patron, who, who talked about the Catholic university not in 
first in the the sense of a an apostolate that the church has certain reasons why it's supporting, right? And there are reasons why the church wants Catholic education to, you know, to form young people in the faith and to to strengthen Christians and everything. But what is education per se? Education is primarily about intellectual formation, right? But the Catholic church understands that you can't form someone intellectually without also tending to the entire person, right? So you have to intend the entire person spiritually as well as physically, intellectually, in every respect. And then in addition to that, when you just talk about the academics, right, that theology is a branch of knowledge and catechesis is extremely important to younger Catholic education, growing into more of a theological education in the older years. And that that is integral to an education that respects all branches of knowledge. And then in addition to that, even in the other branches of knowledge, whether you're studying biology, whether you're studying literature, whether you're studying history, our Catholic faith brings a, an enormous insight and understanding of these things in their foundation and in what they are, in their nature, and in what they're leading us to. And all of it is directed toward communion with God. That's ultimately our our ultimate happiness. And so putting all that together, what is Catholic education? Catholic education is the formation of the person with specific emphasis on, on intellectual formation ordered toward communion with God. And so that has to be done with the grace of God. It has to be done with prayer. It has to be done together with with sacraments and with with all of the the aid that the church provides in forming the person and also in informing the education and that's a it's not just a catholic education it's a more authentic education so patrick that as a parent or a grandparent or even students today the concept of catholic education as you've explained it has a broader application in their life and yet, even Catholic schools don't get that at times, right? I mean, right. And, and so, and so, a parent or a grandparent who's out there trying to give their child the best is confounded because they're running into things that do not ascribe to what you just explained. Yeah, you, you right, exactly. And, and it's in baptism, the parents promise essentially an education, a Catholic education to the child. They promise to form the child in the Catholic faith. And unfortunately, often that's seen as purely catechesis. All right, well, they learned the Ten Commandments. I took them to Mass when they were younger. Whatever happens later, I don't know. Well, clearly that's going to run into problems if they're not formed well in every other respect, right? And so it is in some ways overwhelming, I think, to a parent, right? When you really think about Catholic Catholic education, Catholic education is embodies one of the most important things that a parent is supposed to be providing the child. But it also helps to recenter us on the fact that it's not just about a school, it's not just about a particular institution or even a method, right? It's about making sure that that young person is formed in that way. And unfortunately, a number of our Catholic schools, colleges, even, you know, homeschooling situations aren't doing a great job of forming people in that way. And then others are. And so what we need to rediscover is how to make sure our young people are formed and genuinely educated the way Catholics deserve to be educated.
Stay tuned for the next episode of the Cardinal Newman Society podcast as we continue our interview with Patrick Riley, founder and president of the Cardinal Newman Society. If you'd like to learn more about how you can help promote and defend faithful Catholic education, go to cardinalnewmansociety.org. Also, if you're interested in promoting and defending faithful Catholic education wherever it is found, subscribe to the Cardinal Newman Society podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Mm -hmm.